Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of SNTR Presents. This is going to be a question and answer session that followed my discussion of the Redrick's Broadsword quest line that was li- outlined by uh, Kevin Yanes on Reddit and shared with the world because everyone was very upset about the Claymore situation. We have another video and question and answer about that. I kept telling people to wait. Let's see what the quest is. And now that we've seen the quest, a lot of pretty much everybody that was unhappy has has calmed down quite a bit and said, "Okay, this is this is a pretty lengthy quest. This is going to take a long time. It's not going to be overtly difficult, but it is going to take time and energy and a commitment. It isn't going to be something you can just do in an afternoon or a weekend." Uh, and so if you want to hear those details, I put those details in the initial talk or just check Twitter or Reddit. So, uh, let me turn the alerts back on just in case any come through. KG, thank you for the 100 bits again, too, by the way. I didn't call that out during the initial talk. So, the first question is, Zeta, how do you feel about the new broadsword quest essentially being attainable for anyone who can do the grind? Given what we know about how random rolls is going to function and how shotguns, hand cannons, auto rifles are all going to be very viable, we also know there's going to be new perk combinations, new sort of pinnacle there's going to be things that are pinnacle items and guns where you're like you have to run this gun given that we know that's a reality that happens all the time in destiny i don't think we need to we need to overreact here and say well the, the broadsword is so so good it it shouldn't be something that everybody can get right it shouldn't be something that everybody can just grind for with time um here here's my point I've talked about these two types of grinds before. There's RNG grind, and then there's investment grind. And I praise the new weapon system because it combines both. You can do the RNG grind and grind for the god roll. Once you have the god roll that you want, you can then do the investment grind of turning it masterworks and putting a mod on it. Wow, what a cartwheel. That combines both RNG grind and investment grind. Now, when you look at this situation with the Redrick's broadsword, someone might say, well, that's just an investment grind. You put in enough time, and you can get the gun. I think that has its place. I think questline guns have their place, and here's when they have their place. If the roll has to be static to some degree, like they did with like the King's Fall raid weapons, or just raid weapons in general, there has to be, I think, a more direct line to pursuing those guns so given that they're bringing synergistic perks to destiny with outlaw and desperado you need that to be in the game in a static way and if it's going to be in a static way it's kind of like a piece of raid gear it's like a quasi exotic like a step down from an exotic exotics always have static roles that's why they're so so perfect they build the gun perfectly around what it's supposed to do sunshot graviton lance galahorn etc And so in this case, in this situation, everyone has access to it. It's going to take a a considerable amount of time. I mean, you're going to be a very dedicated PvP player to get this thing. And that's kind of how that gun has to exist in the world. If it was just RNG grind, it wouldn't work because then Desperado would show up and you'd be like, well, that's a dead perk. Desperado doesn't work without Outlaw. If it was just showing up randomly as that synergistic perk pairing every time it showed up, Outlaw and Desperado, people could then argue, well, that's silly. You had really good luck and you got a really, really great piece of pinnacle gear. This is the best option. 
it's a synergistic perk it always drops that way and then anybody who gets it had to put in the time and the grind and be intentional and didn't just look like oh luck would have it here it is just dropped into my lap this is great so that's why I think this is an acceptable way to do it uh, TVG Biggs I don't know if you've been asked what we'd be playing the Division 2 oh yes I will uh, MB MB Arub 510 um I know it's a considerable grind, and I'm the farthest from an elitist, but what are your thoughts on Bungie not requiring any Crucible wins for a PvP pinnacle weapon? Um, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't know if that's accurate. I thought it did say that you needed wins. 75 double plays, 150 opponents with a pulse rifle, and then you gotta get arc, solar, and void final blows. 25 in each of quick play competitive and rumble and complete 20 bounties okay so yeah you don't have to get wins well here's the thing here's the thing there's an awful lot of final blows and an awful lot of kill factor in there that I think then lands on the individual player which is kind of how you want a quest like this to be if if, if you're going in the crucible as a solo player your lack of wins and the frustration of playing with random players should not be cause for your your pursuit to be slowed down right like well I, I made no progress this weekend I kept getting paired with bad players and people might push back and be like we'll find people to play with and then I think the other side of that would be like well yeah but if you're just gonna stack if you're just gonna stack the the, the team and go for it then I <laughs> Is that an individual performance weighing on the on the situation? No, that's just you stacking a team, getting a bunch of wins for that one section of it. I mean, honestly, if there were wins needed, it'd only be one section. I mean, if you look at how they've formatted it, even if they required you to get 10 or 20 wins, do you honestly think the win count would be unobtainable? They have to reset their Valor rank. They literally have to reset their Valor rank five times. By the time they do that, they would more than likely have whatever win requirement you would set, unless they set just a ridiculous amount of wins required. Just a ludicrous amount. By the time somebody does all the things listed on that on that quest and reset their valor five times, I would think they're going to have a bundle of wins by the end of that. It's more about the individual performance of the player to get finishing blows and use different weapons and go into the different playlists. Snizzly says, are current EP guns going to have some lasting power after Forsaken releases? Yes. Yes. Dude, I'm still going to love this shotgun, especially when I can put it in the energy slot. The Escalation Protocol shotgun is still going to be a very, very pivotal and pinnacle piece of gear. You go into you go into just a strike or a nightfall, and you're, you know, you're touting this thing, and you're hitting people up close, and you're nailing you're nailing that trench barrel. I think it's the same for the sniper rifle. I think the sniper rifle is going to be influential as well. I think in the right circumstances, you're going to really, really feel like these are good weapons to have with you. Are they going to potentially slowly be outclassed and edged out? Maybe there's a shotgun that shows up with trench barrel or a sniper rifle with box breathing. Sure. Sure. I could see that. I could hundred percent see other weapons slowly starting to edge out, you know, the, the, the escalation protocol weapons. But I think that I think that that's okay. That's okay. You cannot have weapons that are eternally enshrined as powerful in a loot pursuit game. You want to have this element of like, okay, 
go and get the weapons, right? Go and get the good stuff. That incentive and that drive breaks down if you always have a Galahorn with you, if you always have an Escalation Protocol weapon that can't be outclassed. Well, then does every shotgun in the future for forever just not freaking matter? This is why random rolls are so, so, so important. Think about what random rolls does in this situation. Escalation Protocol shotgun is probably the best shotgun going into Forsaken. Not probably, it is. It is the best shotgun going into Forsaken. You slap that into your energy slot, very influential in the right situations. If you think about the Occam's Razor that I used in the, you know, the Vosik fight in Wrath of the Machine, it's going to have influences in times like that where there's rhythmic pain from big strong enemies. Imagine the Eater of Worlds room right now, and if you can have this gun in the energy slot, and you just wreck, you just sh- you just stuff that barrel on that Minotaur anytime he shows up, and you don't, you're not wasting a power slot on a shotgun for a ranged fight, right? You can have your, your Sleeper or your Whisper for boss damage, or your Darcy, whatever. Well, in that, in that scenario, I'm now really, really strong. It's arguably the strongest shotgun in the game, right? Because also what's in its corner is it's not exotic. It's not exotic. So it enables you to have a, a, a really, really strong build. Because somebody in, in, is saying, is the catalyst for Acurus arguably better? Right, but you're not going to want to put on the Acurus. Number one, it's got a smaller clip. And number two, you're taking away your exotic. So you can't run, you know, Darcy, Sleeper, Whisper, etc. Now, back to what I was saying, the reason Random Rolls makes this so perfect is as you are playing Forsaken and pursuing potentially stronger gear, it's not that binary 0 to 1, oh, I got the new shotgun, it's stronger than this gun, I'm done, I'm done, best shotgun now. There'll be shotguns that drop that are like, ooh, it's got trench barrel, but it doesn't have this. Or, ooh, it's got all of this, but it doesn't have trench barrel. Oh, you know, you're going to be seeking out the best. And then you're going to put mods on it, masterwork it, etc. That's why random rolls is so, so important. It is vital to the life of a game like this. You, you, you have a great piece of pinnacle gear from the previous DLC, and now you've got new pieces of gear to pursue and find. There's going to be guns specific to the well, to the raid, other guns in the game just that are going to be good to have and nice because they have that new system. This is why contextual power is so important. What's Bungie going to do a year from now? What are they going to do in 2019? If they if they do what I think they're going to do, and in 2019 they go with a Taken Queen expansion, how are you going to make those weapons stronger? The only way you make those weapons stronger is if there's contextual power. These guns are stronger on the Dreadnought. These guns are stronger in this environment. They have mods and perks that make you want to chase after them because you're going to have pinnacle gear from Forsaken in a year of grinding. You're literally going to have god rolls that you spent a year trying to get and then that's going to potentially, potentially... It's going gonna, it's gonna to take away that incentive to grind for the new gear. This is why contextual power is needed. Because then the new gear has a... It has an intrinsic incentive within it for you to chase it. You're like, I need that. I, I, I'm going to be stronger in those environments. I'm going to be stronger in those strikes. I'm going to be stronger on that planet. Tom Coleman says, I know Claymore is a PvP reward and should stay that way, but do you think Bungie will have a grind like this for PvE mainly players go for I would love that I would absolutely love that they I think they need they need seasonal rewards like this 
here's your seasonal PvP reward, here's your seasonal PvE. If I'm running strikes, you know, raids, nightfalls, public events, patrols, all those things. If I'm doing bounties, if I'm doing the, you know, the bounties for spider, you know, the outlaw bounties. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I should definitely, I should definitely be getting pinnacle gear for PvE. I think a lot of people would push back and say the pinnacle gear for PvE is in the raid it's in strike specific loot and i would say that's okay having that big long end goal for the season i think is i think is nice i think it's a nice i think it's a nice thing to have royal duck 1 do you think they should add multiple quests like the claymore in future seasons yeah it's like the previous question kind of spawned this question you guys are kind of feeding off each other and that's really cool like you guys are seeing where it's going and where i'm probably going with the thought right is that there should be something every season like that. One for PvP, one for PvE. Right, we have the, uh, what's it's called? The Luna's Howl. Luna's Howl is going to be, you know, you, you grind the season for it, and that's going to be a really nice hand cannon, in addition to the, the, the Redrick's broadsword. So I think that that would be really nice every season to have this. It's a, it's a, it's a long, long goal. It's not like if you get really good RNG, um, and then you're done, like it was before there was random rolls. This is just another way to extend the life of the game. Riders Max, do you think many people will give a try to complete the quest for the broadsword knowing the quest will take a big grind in PvP? Here's the thing you have to remember. A lot of the things it's requiring you to do, if you just play a lot of PvP, you're going to naturally do a lot of this stuff. You're going to play a lot of the different game modes. You're going to do a lot of the different things. You're just going to have to be intentional whenever you're on each individual step right if you're playing regularly and 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 you're focusing on each individual step you're going to be rolling over valor if you're taking advantage of like the double and triple valor weekends you can do that too so i i don't think anybody's going to look at it if you're a fan of pvp i don't think anybody's going to be like oh my gosh i think there are people that are going to be really they're going to really bite down and dig in and and go for it a lot faster than others and then there's going to be the folks that are like, eh, I'll get to that eventually. I've got other things I want to do. I want to do the campaign, or I want to work on this, or I want to work on that. Like, there's going to be a there's going to be a time for some people where they just maybe just kind of ignore it. Uh, but if you're regularly playing PvP, then you'll you'll definitely have a sense of um, you're definitely going to have a sense of like I'm slowly moving it along and advancing it. Greg Grogson. Are you going to wait for Claymore users? Uh, are you going to wait for Claymore users' early review on the broadsword before uh, deciding to grind for it? If hand cannons are the meta, I won't be bothering getting a pulse. I want it for PVE. If I'm honest, like I'm not really gonna. I don't really want to put in the time, but I, I would want it for PVE. I feel like Desperado as a perk is gonna proc more often and more intentionally in PVE than PVP. But I don't know if I want to put in the time. I mean, there's going to be, I would think, there's going to be other really good PvE weapons, whether it's from the Blind Well, uh, or for, from the Raid, or maybe there's a strike-specific, you know, hand cannon that's just really, really nice. Uh, I, I I, don't even know if I'm going to have time to go for it, even though I think it could be a pretty dope weapon in, P- in the PvE environments. I'm just not really big on PvP, even if they make it better and it feels saucy again. I'm still, I'm still just not a PvP guy. I just, I never have been. Um, in Destiny specifically, 
I got kind of burnt out on on the on the six v six kind of game style in Call of Duty. I just I played that I played that so so much that I think I just kind of burned myself out. Fortnite's in just another place for me. Like I can I, I that's one of the few times I played a PvP game and have just noticed very very noticeable if I'm improving or not, and not just if I'm improving or not, but what can I improve on? I think a lot of the times it's hard in in something like Destiny to feel like you're improving when the meta shifts and what your previous guns, your previous way of playing is just not good anymore. That's kind of happened a few times in Fortnite and it's been very, very frustrating. It's like, wow, I spent all this time working on this play style and fast, you know, quickly swapping weapons and and building and then they mess with swap speeds and everything else and then you kind of have to relearn the game. I feel like with Destiny, it was so sharp and so drastic whenever they did it. There are still, I can still basically play Fortnite the way that I like playing. I've just had to make small tweaks. In Destiny 1 especially, you basically had to use whatever guns were the meta, and that was, I think, just frustrating for me to want to put in the time. So, Sacrificer, what is the biggest problem you've had with D1, D2, and did it get resolved? Um, I mean, my biggest problem with D1 was that there just wasn't enough things to do. I, you know, you run out of stuff to do pretty fast. That problem exists in Destiny 2 in another way. Destiny 1, there, was, there wasn't much to do, right? But there was a depth. There was things to chase. There was cool things you'd kind of put in the work for to try to get. And that could consume a lot of your time. 23 months from Durian King since one more month. Dude, so close to the gold badge for two years. Destiny 2's biggest problem is there's just a lack of loot pursuit. There's no reason to go do Lost Sectors adventures. There's no reason to to really, really grind strikes or nightfalls. Like, once you get all the stuff, there's just nothing to do. Um, my biggest, biggest, biggest gripe with Destiny 2 is, is that, that there's nothing to grind for. But I also just can't stand the raid. I just don't like the raid at all. I don't think it delivered. I don't think it delivered a Destiny raid. It's something else. It's something else. When you play Vogue, Crota, King's Fall, and Wrath of the Machine, they all, in some measure or another, to some degree or another, they feel like a Destiny raid. And I feel like Leviathan feels like a completely, just a giant departure from Destiny raids. The way they structured it, it's it's mechanically heavy. It's, It's more mechanically heavy than King's Fall, which is hard to do the way they did the revive tokens really really hurt it that's one of the reasons it doesn't feel like a destiny raid no bosses uh and then the way they delta scaled just they they did a lot they did so many things that was that was a big departure and divergence from the way they did d1 raids i just it just i just didn't like it off topic question if someone is bad mouthing a streamer i like do i tell them to let it go they follow the person they're bad mouthing by the way I mean, I don't know why you would even bother talking to somebody like that. What, like, what's their issue, you know? Like, to a certain degree, like, gossip and bad-mouthing people is childish. You know what I'm saying? I know there's people that bad-mouth me and gossip about me behind my back. That's just what childish, immature people do. They're insecure, and that's what they do to make themselves feel better. You know what I mean? It's usually symptomatic. It's usually symptomatic of, like, a flaw in that person's character. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I've always been kind of surprised how much streamers are willing to gossip about each other. It's like, 
they, they, they basically trend on and oftentimes launch into slander and defamation because they're just speaking poorly about and spreading rumors and often lies about other streamers. It's like, this isn't just Charlie, you know, at your high school, you know, football, you know, team. This is, this is a person that is a business entity and you are, you are slandering them. Like, I'm really surprised at the, to the degree that streamers do that. It's dangerous and reckless. And I would just tell somebody to either stop or move on. Uh, Lord of Time. Lord of Time says, Do you think Destiny 2 needs gear based off of famous guardians like they did with D1 and the Perfect Paradox? Theme gear is the best in my opinion. I would really like it if they started doing that with a strike-specific loot. A lot of times a strike-specific loot is based off of the the boss. But what if the boss was had a history with a guardian? You know? And some guardian faced them before... And when they face this boss, they lost their, they lost their gun or they lost their whatever. And when you go and face the boss, you can have a chance for that gun to drop. I think that'd be pretty cool. I think that'd be pretty cool. You got to be careful though, because like themed gear doesn't really jive with random roles. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's say we go fight some boss and Saint-14 had another gun, like a hand cannon. And when you fight this boss, he can drop the hand cannon. Are you going to treat it the same way you're treating the Redrick's broadsword and it has like a partially static roll so that way it's like a it's it's like a quasi exotic and it doesn't change it would just I don't know it would be kind of weird to go that length to say we're going to have lore and background story around this um we're going to have lore and background story around this drop but then we're going to kind of ignore that lore and background story and it's going to be a random roll I don't know. That's why I feel like with raid weapons, it makes sense that they're that they're they're never random rolled. It's it's a weapon that is tied to the activity and the story and the raid, and um, that I think makes sense of the static roll. It's like it's like when you go after an exotic and it's got the quest line, and like the exotics now, like they literally have lore right on them. Um, they literally have lore right on them, so like you can you can read the lore. And then, oh wow, this is neat. This is based on this. So, take the weapon to the gunsmith, and they can upgrade it. Mm. You never want, you never ever ever want that to be a thing. You never want that to be a thing. I don't think reforging or rerolling is is ever something you want to do. I'm gonna delete this song from the playlist. I finally found the one that has that alarm clock sound in it. I freaking hate that. It's like in the middle of the song too. Uh, next question, Ghost Rider three one three. Do you think Lord Shaq should have a bigger role in the Destiny franchise? I mean, I, what role can the NPCs really play, man? I mean, they they stand in the tower and they give us quests. That's basically what they're supposed to do. Um, I don't think they need to do much other than that. I mean, there's what NPCs play like a huge, huge, significant role. What, like, what do they do? What are they doing? They're standing there and they're talking to you and they're giving you quests, and that's pretty much it. Um, so, uh, do you believe that uh, lording gear is a fundamental in Destiny surviving? If anyone has everything, does it make you feel bad? Well, like, it's not up to me to feel good or bad on what everybody has, right? That's not that's not necessarily where I want to take the conversation whenever we talk about items should be rare. Right? 
like think about it i've never taken the i've never ever taken the mentality that items should be rare so that i have something that somebody else does and that makes me feel good about myself but when you have something that you know is rare and that you either worked hard to get it or you're one of the lucky ones that has it that feels cool it's not about I have it, nobody else has it. Nya, 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 nya. Like, it's not that. It's more about, man, this is so rare. That makes it so cool. I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. Or, I worked really hard to get this. I think there's two ways of looking at it. And I think it's a really negative way to look at it from the other side of the coin and be like, oh, I, I, I don't want anybody else to have it. That's what makes it special. And I think this again, this again is where random rolls comes in so, so big. So, so big. It, it makes it so you can always find something that's a little bit better. Not always, but there's a, there's, a, there's a pretty long period of time where you don't necessarily have the best version of a gun. And I think that's key. That is just so, so key to the survival of the game, to the loot pursuits, to people feeling like, oh, I need to do this or I need to chase this. Random rolls is, is such a key factor there. And the way they've implemented it, I, I'm very excited. That by the time you're done with a pinnacle piece of gear, you've got the best roll, you've got the mod on it that you think is the best. You got four, you got four active perks. One of those being the mod. You've got, you know, uh, you've got it masterworked up. You've gotten a bunch of kills with it. You take it into end game content. It feels good. It feels saucy. Like that's what you want. You want to have that that tangible feeling of reward of like. Like when I finally took my Imago loop with explosive rounds into the Vosic fight and out come the exploder shanks. Boom! And they all explode. I literally could run the middle by myself and help the sides, right? Because it was like, this thing is great. This thing is so powerful. I'm so glad I spent all that time going for it. So, estimated profit. Any idea what we'll be awarded with at the conclusion of the ramen quest? I think it's going to be an ornament for the Ace of Spades. I don't think they're going to give us the Ace of Spades before Forsaken. I think we're going to beat Forsaken and get the Ace of Spades because Aldrin has it. So I think we're going to get an ornament for the Ace of Spades, kind of foreshadowing not only that we're going to get it, but that it almost like maybe Kate even knows that he's not going to make it. And he wants to leave behind like something for us to remember him by on the Ace of Spades. Because if you pre-order Forsaken, you get an ornament for the gun anyway, I'm fairly certain. So, what was the roll on the Imago Loop? It was Explosive Rounds. Uh, it was Explosive Rounds, Life Support, and something else. I may have deleted the gun as part of my... Uh, I may have deleted the gun as part of my, my, my charity block, or maybe I just couldn't use it anymore. Um, I think I actually deleted it. It was very painful to delete because it took a long time. Yeah, I don't even have it in my Xbox One Destiny 1 inventory anymore. It's gone. We deleted it. I think it had life support, which was the one where you like you get low health and you reload quicker. And then it had another one. <clears throat> it had the... Um, it had explosive rounds, and then I think it was called life support, and then that third one, I forget... I forget that there was a third one. I thought it was Zen. No, it wasn't Zen. It wasn't Zen. Basically, it was two. It was two. It was two, basically, of the perks that help you when you get low health. 
I can't remember. There was the one where you got like quicker reload and quicker, uh, quicker and better like target acquisition or something when you were low. And then there was the one that like a crit kill could instantly start your healing. It was those two perks. I don't know the names of them, but that's what could happen. There was the one that like, if I killed somebody, I could periodically, like I would just start healing immediately. And then there was the other one that like, if I got low health, I reloaded quicker. Those are the two that I had in addition to explosive rounds. So if people can remember those, those, those perk names, that's what I had. Uh, Aaron3401, with not much information as of yet on armor perks, what would you like to see with the perk system? Uh, do you think new exotics could be activity-based? I mean, yeah, they could always do that with exotics. A lot of times they don't like doing that with exotics. You don't want to have too many questline exotics. Questline exotics have their place, but if you have too many of them, it just seems too transactional. That's just too that's just too transactional. So, I think though that as far as perks that we could get, I want to see reload perks on Gauntlet's return. I would like to see ammo perks return to boots and then everything else, I don't know, the sky's the limit, you know, do whatever you want. You know, they could do a whole lot. They could do a whole lot. I definitely want to see perks on armor though for the raid for you know the dream the 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 blind well if I'm going to be doing the blind well and getting blind well armor I would love for that armor to be uh beneficial in that environment 100 percent fudge 742 how do you think Redrick's broadsword grind will affect the early DLC population in the new modes like gambit and the horde mode I don't think it's going to affect them at all, personally. I know people are really going to going to want to really get on the broadsword grind, but I think people are really going to gravitate towards Gambit. Gambit's going to appeal to PVE players. It's going to appeal to uh, players that are more casual in the Crucible that are just kind of like, I don't really feel like grinding out the Crucible right now. Um, I, I honestly feel like that's actually a really good f- thing to bring up. What Fudge is bringing up is really important, and here's why. I think that my concerns about Gambit really pulling away from Crucible and making Crucible not get good daily engagement, I think the Broadsword and the Luna's Howl, I think the Broadsword and the Luna's Howl is going gonna, is gonna to keep people in that, oh, we got to just periodically dip in there and, and, put, and take some chunks and, and, and move my rank. You see what I'm saying? They're putting that long-term grind in there for the, for the duration of the season, and that's going to kind of keep people in the crucible with regularity without without the broadsword or the lunas howl i feel like the crucible would just be really really vacant because people are like what's the point in grinding it's fun but what's the point right and that's where like iron banner and trials comes in but trials is going to be on hiatus so I mean, you got to think, you need a reason for people to be in there every day. And I think that's where the Crimson, uh, I'm sorry, the Redrick's Broadsword and the uh, the Luna's Howl will be those big, those big out in the distance carrots that'll keep people playing on a regular basis. Owner of Dragons, will the Dreaming City be six man patrol? I'm pretty sure that they've confirmed that yes, it will be. At the very least, they showed the blind well as being a uh, they show the blind well as being a four man activity but you can't really do a four man activity like they're all standing there together it looks like a fire team but I'm fairly certain they've confirmed it will be a six man patrol area now it's not necessarily a patrol area though I don't know if there's going to be patrols in public events there's puzzles there's 
there's like mini bosses and then there's the blind well and then there's the raid itself so there's a lot of reasons to take that many people in there I don't know if you're going to be doing public events and patrols there though please no shoot what is the last day you can get the claymore the 4th or the 28th I have heard both I do not have a definitive answer for you I would go with the 28th if it was me if it was me and I was rolling the dice I would try and get it before the 28th because a lot of things are stopping after the 28th so uh bearded frontier uh yeah bearded frontier do you think the playstation will ever allow cross platform no the only way playstation is going to start to allow cross platform is if microsoft's long game starts to pay off if Microsoft's spectrum of console and Play Anywhere starts to get traction and they end up with an arguably larger customer base, like if they can approach a developer and say, okay, listen, we built this infrastructure for Play Anywhere, so when you build a game for our platform, here's how many Windows 10 users right now play games on our Play Anywhere platform, and if you add that to the Xbox user base, here's our user base size. If that starts to pay off and in like two or three years, What's good, J-Balance? If in like two or three years, Microsoft's winning that game, only then would Sony maybe want to start playing ball. Now, unfortunately for Sony, they're kind of burning the bridge before we even get there. Like, they're being real, like, they're not playing ball right now. They're not being pro gamer. And that could end up biting them in the future. I mean, people can get vindictive. Companies can get, you know, kind of vengeful. Like, dude, we wanted to do this years ago and you guys crossed your arms and now you're coming to us because we're winning the we're winning the race, right? Microsoft might be inclined to say, no, we have our Play Anywhere solution and we have all these great exclusive deals with all these developers. We don't need Play Anywhere. We don't need to do that cross-play with Sony, right? And that would be frustrating. That would be frustrating to see Microsoft change their tune and to start being you know, anti-gamer and not pro-gamer uh, when it comes to that. I, we we want to see all developers and platforms be far more pro-gamer than they are right now with exclusives, and that's one of the ways I think they're going to do it is with cross-play. Microsoft and Nintendo are playing ball, so with Forsake, um, with with Fortnite, and that makes Sony look bad. Sony might start playing ball too if they keep looking bad. If multiple games keep coming out and they manage to leverage cross-play with their game for both Nintendo and Microsoft, Sony's going to keep looking like a bunch of douches. And they don't, th- that's not going to go over very well in boardroom meetings and, and projections and, and sales numbers when you know investors aren't happy when stock value drops. Nobody likes that. Uh, and that happened to Sony because of the Fortnite debacle. So it, with Destiny, probably not. Probably not just because Sony's got their hooks in and they got those exclusives for a while. Uh, Battalion 84... When it comes to the blind well, do you feel it will be more reminiscent of EP, Escalation Protocol, or Court of Oryx, or something else completely unique? It looked it looked more like Archon's Forge. Because Archon's Forge, you go into an area and you kind of get swarmed from all sides. Court of Oryx was like a a boss instance. You go, it's this one spot, and the boss and the ads spawn in that one spot, and there's a mechanic to beat them. And that's it. That's like that's the encounter. There's like the waves don't come from all angles. Escalation Protocol, you're in a big open space and you're like roaming from spot to spot. It's really easy to kind of leave the area if you need a breather. Like if you're, you know, you're needing to kind of like, oh, I got to answer this text message or whatever. The Blind Well looked more like Archon's Forge. Archon's Forge was kind of hard to just hide and and get away from the enemy because they were, you know, they come in from all sides. All the doors could open. 
So it looks more like that to me, like a like something closer to a horde mode than we've ever had. Uh, Jedi Trex or Jedi T Rex. What shader do you use on the Escalation Protocol Shoddy? I use the Crucible Glory shader because it makes it really, really red. Actually, I probably would want to put on... There's another Crucible shader that's a much brighter red. Endless Glory. Yeah, Endless Glory is a, is a brighter red and it puts, the, it puts blue on the tip of it though. So let's switch and see how that looks out in the wild. Yeah, that's a bit of a brighter red, but that's what I run. Uh... Mace88 says, is everything getting reset on September the 4th? I have not played in a while, and I wonder is it worth leveling up? I mean, leveling up now and getting, you know, getting resources and tokens in your inventory is worth it. Those are going to have value in Forsaken. Spending your tokens and your resources now, you don't want to do that. There's no reason to do that. You're not getting anything. Any, Any of the, I mean, unless you basically have nothing... Pretty much any item, like any piece of gear you could get uh, before Forsaken comes out isn't going to necessarily be worth using once Forsaken comes out, but you could do the Solstice of Heroes armor grind. That's 400 armor that'll raise your power level, and then that means whenever Forsaken comes out, your drops are higher, right? Your drops are higher because you're wearing higher gear. You could run the raid layers and get the 400 guns as well, and same idea same idea you're you know you're you're kind of making yourself a little bit stronger and then the things that drop initially when forsaken comes out are a little bit higher for you than they would have been other than that there's they're like they're not resetting your power level or anything like that they're not doing anything um they're not taking away anything they are changing some things rogue calypso I'm excited for the clan changes mentioned in last week's TWAB, but it seems to have been overshadowed by the Redrick stuff. What are your thoughts on the clan changes? Do you think it is enough or they'll need to do more? I'm going to do an entire talk about what they said about Gambit, about what they said about competitive, about what they said about clans. So I'll do entire talks about that. I've not read enough to share my thoughts. Donald Ennett with the brand new Prime sub. Welcome to the Rages. Enjoy your dope badge and emotes. Your dope and deserve dope stuff. Nova21. Uh, D1 Taken King introduced quest lines after the main campaign, like the Taken War on Mars and Earth. Do you think Forsaken will provide us with any quests to prolong the experience other than activities like the Blind Well and the Raid? I actually completely forgot about that element. I completely forgot about that element that they did with Taken King. Um... Here's my thought. Here's my thought. We live in the end game and typically just run the content loop. That's what most destiny players do and I felt like the only the biggest problem with the taken war and all that stuff they did after my biggest problem with that was that doing that on multiple characters just felt unbelievably like oh I gotta do this again I gotta do this again I don't want to do this again and so that's my only concern when they do stuff like that is it does stretch out the initial experience I don't know if I want to do that on three characters, though. Because for me, like, the Taken War, it was like, there were pretty cool rewards in there. I think you get, like, the Boolean Gemini, which was a pretty cool exotic scout. And that was a pretty cool drop for completing that and completing the, you know, Varix's stuff. And, uh... But, I don't know, dude. That's... If it's if it's only on the fir- your first character, then I probably wouldn't care. You get to on your second or third character, it's like 
so I get the Boolean Gemini again for the third time. Yippee freaking Skippy. That's the problem is typically those quest lines don't lead to loot that you care about by the time you're on your second or third character. So you're just sort of going through the motions. I think that's something that's always a challenge for Bungie with Destiny. It's just like, we want, we, we, we ask for what we kind of don't want. Oh, give us a long campaign. And then we get to our second character and we're like, screw this campaign, man. Frick, I don't want to do this. You telling me I can't go to that planet or that activity until I do the whole campaign? Oh, jeez. Come on, right? Now, if they did individual drops per class or like they did with the campaign where you could pick the Nameless Midnight, the Origin Story, or the... Uh, I'm blanking on the Vanguard Pulse so that they give you the Nightshade... If they were, you know, they give you those three choices. Well, now you're like, I need to play through each time to grab each gun. They did that with Warmind. If they do that, then I don't mind it as much because I'm like, yeah, dude, let's do it. I want to grab those other guns and see if they're any good. People were like, oh, that one's not that good. They said that during Warmind. People were like, no, that's not that good. Nah, that's not worth it. And it's like, well, let me decide that. Let me get all three guns and try them out. So at the at the bare minimum, at the bare minimum, oh yeah, it was the showrunner submachine gun, wasn't it? I thought it was the nightshade pulse, but I think you're right. It might be the showrunner uh, SMG that you get whenever you're doing the quest line. So for me, that would be the best way to do it. If you're going to make me play through the campaign and these extra quests staggered beyond, then give me different items each time I run it to give me that incentive. If people are like, well, that's not fair. I only have one character. I'm sorry, I don't really care if you only have one character. Like, I shouldn't feel like I have to run through content that's bland, boring, and unrewarding because you only have one character. You know, those guns can drop from the normal loot pool for you. It was the Nightshade? Okay, so I was right. Uh, Mbaroob510. If Bungie isn't on board with upgrading the original Claymore in Season 4, would you agree that giving original owners a special ornament would be a good idea to do it, differentiate them from the generic broadsword owners? I know we get an emblem, but everyone is constantly changing those. Yeah, see, emblems are cool, but you're right. Like, you get new emblems, you think they're neat looking, and you put them on. I mean, I did that today. I got the Garden World emblem Master Gardener, and it's not even one of the new ones that's legendary with the score. It just looks neat. So I put it on. So, yeah, I think the emblem should come with an ornament for the gun as well. Personally, I just think, as you said on the front of it, if they don't do this, but this is what I've called on them to do, you should be able to take your Claymore and get the new system on it. And then, obviously, if you want to start going for random rolls, it'd be a broadsword. But if you want to continue using your Claymore, you could, because you would have the extra perk on it through the mod system and masterwork it, because the broadsword's automatically going to be better, because you can put a mod on it. Geek and Gamer. With the new quest and only a small requirement of 25 comp games, what do you think happens to the comp playlist? What would be the incentive to play in that playlist other than over quick play now? Well, they're moving some game modes over there, so that's good. Um, and not only that, not only that, I think they're also considering the scoring is going to be a little bit more, it's going to be better to grind. So if they're doing that, if they're making the grind a little bit better and they're changing the game modes up, I think I think people might feel like it's worth grinding it. You're going to need to grind it for the Luna's Hell, I think. So if you're it, like and I think this is a smart way to do it, right? You oh, well you got this big long drawn out quest where you kind of do a variety of things. And then you have the comp playlist 
rank grind for the Lunas Howl, and there's hopefully then tweaking that grind and making it more, you know, more enjoyable. That's ultimately what people want, right? People want people want content to grind, and if you have that incentive to grind competitive, then I think you're gonna feel that sense of I have a if you have a goal, right? It's like running the raid every week when you don't have any of the gear or any of the guns or all the guns. You have that reason to be in the endgame content. You have that reason to grind that up. So, this is why I think the rank with the NPC for the raid should have stuff that you can't get. You can't get... There's shaders, there's emblems, there's different things that you literally can't get until you hit a certain rank of running raids. Right? I think that's important because then people that are like, I run raids every week and I've gotten all the gear like halfway through the season, you usually have it all. Now, if they do the thing with the armor that I said they should do, they treat like the Solstice of Heroes armor, then you're going to be investing in that armor and continuing to run the raids even after you've gotten the armor and that's really, really cool, right? Like, you got the Solstice of Heroes armor, but then you had to do stuff to level it up. You could do the exact same thing with the raid armor. I don't mean they give you weak armor so you're getting the crap kicked out of you when you put on the armor I just mean like it's it's green then it's blue then it's purple and whenever you get it all the way up to purple that's when you you know you have all the perks active but it wouldn't be like nerfing your power level by putting on you know the gear but again that would keep you in the raid just like the Luna's Howl is going to keep people in the competitive playlist so Mac 2099 says, what are your thoughts on the way the community has affected development of D2 and whether we want want it or not? uh, There have been things Bungie understood correctly and incorrectly and have they learned the right lessons? I think they've basically, they've, they've, they've learned, they've learned to say, okay, here's what we're doing and here's our goal and we're gonna stick to this. But they've also learned to say, what you know what do you guys think or hey we heard you on that we're going to try and pivot some things i mean they've definitely heard us on faction rally i mean faction rally is going on hiatus people just did not like faction rally they didn't like the format at all they didn't it's just one of those things where they they wanted to make sure they wanted to make sure that they they got it right and i think that's like that's a hard decision right like Bungie's willing to make hard decisions right now Bungie is willing to make hard decisions and the hard decision is that we're gonna put these things on hold to make them better you know and if people get frustrated they're like well why why would you do that why wouldn't you just leave faction rally in the game why wouldn't you just leave trials in the game I mean that's it, people can get upset that's fine but that's how the game's gonna improve you're gonna get you're gonna get things you're gonna get things fixed sometimes by having to do the painful decision of chopping it off for a little while and like waiting. I don't think we're gonna get to turn this heroic. Oh, we did. Uh Palace of J. Are you worried that the current PvP meta weapons, Graviton and Vigilance, will remain superior even with the weapon changes in Forsaken? No, I'm not worried, and I'll tell you why. I think that hand cannons and shotguns and snipers are incredibly pesky weapons to deal with 
when you have a pulse rifle. Like, pulse rifles just really, really struggle against that degree of, of weaponry. I mean, remember? do you remember the era of sniper rifles and shotguns and hand cannons? Like, do you remember those days in D1? Even a weapon as good as the Grasp of Malak or the Clever Dragon, they, str- they still struggled. They still struggled. It's not like you got the, oh, wow, I got this, uh, this, this, this awesome... It's awesome pulse rifle, and I'm just going to melt. Now, one might say, like, well, hang on a minute. There's a big difference between the Graviton. There's a big difference between the Graviton and the and the Vigilance Wing and a Clever Dragon and a Grasp of Malak. Right? And I, I would tend to agree with those people, but I still, I still think, I still think the rhythm of a pulse is going to really, really struggle against sniper rifle shotguns and hand cannons. I, I, that's that's where I think that's that's where I think the meta is going to land. Now, if the meta doesn't land there and those guns are still viable, if those guns are still viable, the the, the hope that we would have is that you could shut them down with a sniper rifle, a scout, a hand cannon, a bow. You know, you could you could rush them with a shotgun. Like that would be the hope, right? You don't want anything being like, well, you got to use this or you're done. Like, right now, you go in, if you don't use Graviton or Vigilance Wing, you feel it. You're like, yeah, this is really, really tough. You kind of feel that. There's nothing that can kind of shut them down. But if you're like, I really like running with a a scout rifle and a shotgun and a rocket launcher, you know, and this rocket launcher's got really nice, really nice tracking. It's like the new truth. Well, if that's the way you like playing, odds are... Your affinity for that playstyle, your affinity for that loadout, is gonna lead to you, is gonna lead to you being better with that loadout. Does that make sense? Like when you when you like a certain loadout, you tend to be better with that loadout. It's more comfortable for you. If it's your playstyle, it's how you like playing. So the hope would be that you could throw on a scout and the shotgun, and you could lane control, like, this guy wants to run the Graviton, that's fine, I'm gonna pop his head a couple times with this scout, and he's gonna think twice about it, I'm gonna hit him with this bow, I'm gonna snipe him, I'm gonna body him, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna peek out with the hand cannon, and just bam, bam, and then peek back in, and he's gonna think twice, he's gonna think twice about holding that lane with that Graviton. Especially if you're a player who's really, really good with those weapons. You make people think twice. Like, here's what people were saying this morning. Like, oh, it's just going to be shotgun rushers all over again. Maybe, maybe not. If hand cannons and auto rifles are strong, they're the best suited weapons for a shotgun shutdown. So if you're getting shut down using shotgun rushing like a dum-dum, there are going to be certain maps where you just won't see it as often. Right? And then there's going to be other maps where it shows up quite a bit more, and you're going to have to hit your shots with your hand cannon or your auto rifle, or get out your own shotgun, <gasps> the horror, and, you know, try to combat shotgun rushing. That's what you want to see. You want to see things that can counter the other. That's the big debate in Fortnite right now, is that high rate of fire, you know, SMGs are a great counter for building. Building is a great counter for shotgunning. Shotgunning needs to be a counter for SMGs. Like it needs to be like a circle. So there's there's, there's a syner- there's like there's a synergy within the meta, and I think you can have that synergy within the meta. Is that you know graviton and vigilance wing is strong on a lane, but it can be countered by like a bow and a sniper or a, or a good scout or a good hand cannon, right? 
And you're like, okay, that's cool. That's those two lanes can kind of counter each other. What are you going to do about, um, you know, shotgun rushers? What are you going to do about close range people that just 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 nail their headshots with their uh, their hand cannon? Well, you're going to have auto rifles. You're going to have auto rifles to, to to shut that down, maybe, and to counter that. And you're going to have I don't know, maybe SMGs are going to be really strong. You know, you're going to have shotguns to shut down shotguns. You're going to have shotguns to shut down auto rifles. Auto rifles to shut down hand cannons. Like, you want all those guns to kind of feel effective in the range that they're supposed to be effective. And then they're kind of working as the right counter. If you're good with the shotgun and you know how to control the lane and the choke point, then you can counter the rush. Same with an auto rifle. Well, if I sit here, if I sit here with this auto rifle, this is a good, this is good range to shut down a shotgun rush because once they hit the door I can do enough damage before they get close to me and then they then they're done a lot of destiny is knowing the effective range of a weapon and positioning yourself to where it's at its best I think too many people get bullheaded and they're like no I want to charge in and just use an auto rifle but I want to play like an idiot and that shouldn't matter and then they get aggravated I just keep getting killed by shotguns well, you're probably not managing choke points and rate in radar reading the proper way. You're just putting yourself in a position so that the shotgun's opening you up. Once I learned maps, once I learned maps and lane control and like staying back away from choke points, I started having a better experience managing like, okay, this team's got a couple guys on it with a shotgun. I'm not going to sit on these choke points. It's supposed to be a huge rock, paper, scissors setup. Well, right, it's supposed to be that Azuma Kazuma, but eventually, like, you know, five minutes into the game, you know what the other team has, and you're setting yourself up to counter it. Right? Oh, these guys, there's like three guys on this team that are rushing with shotguns. I'm going to stay back. I'm not going to push these choke points. I'm going to play a little more passive. I'm going to take that power away from them. Shotgun rushing only is strong if you sit really close to choke points and you empower the push. You can weaken the push if you draw back a little bit, right? There were days where I really was enjoying uh, shoulder charging people and charging them with my shotgun. And when they backpedaled with the Mida, it made it really hard. It made it really hard. So. uh, Meme Boozled. What do you think could be the potential god roll of the new Redrick's broadsword? I would have to know how much the, the barrels play a part. Because it's basically going to come down to a barrel, the right barrel and the right mag to give it, I would think, probably as much range as possible, right? I don't know if mags can ever affect range, so you'd want a mag that's probably going to help with, you know, reloading quickly or having really, really quick handling. You don't want to, like, make the mag big and make it sluggish. You'd want it to be snappy. That's the kind of weapon that it is. It's going to perform at its best when it's snappy. And and then range. I would think range would be huge. It would be huge to have on that weapon with how fast it can shoot and how fast its potential TTK is going to be. Uh, Tech Sarge 7. Rerolling could be a thing if you needed something like Strange Coins. Strange Coins could come back as legendaries hard to get from Heroic's Nightfall thoughts. No, I will never, ever, ever co-sign rerolling. Ever. It's terrible. You don't want rerolling in the game. It shortchanges the grind. No, you should not be getting pinnacle gear or or the best combinations of perks and gear in the tower. It's you don't. It's not good. It's not good because what people do always with any currency in a game, 
with any currency in a game there's always a really really effective currency grind but that's not the primary thing that you're doing in the game right you're usually doing other things you're like okay i'm gonna go after this gun or this activity or this raid or this nightfall or this strike right and then that fills up your time when all people do is focus on oh all i've got to do all I've got to do is grind this activity over and over and over and over again because all that matters is currency, 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 currency. And then I'm just going to re-roll this gun for forever. I think that's terrible. That just isn't good content. That's basically the absence of content. You're not playing You're not playing the game and chasing loot. You're chasing a resource. Do you see the difference? That's why I said RNG grind and investment grind need to be dovetailed together. And I think Bungie has nailed it with the system that they have in place of grinding for the god roll is RNG grind, putting the mod on it is an investment grind. So, that didn't happen in the division, they have re-roll that works. That's not a comparison though, you're making a non-functioning parallel. Division is a min-maxing game and you're talking about re-rolling like one tiny teeny aspect of a gun or a piece of gear that has a bunch of other stats and stuff on it. It's not even re- it's not even relatable. It's far superior opinion, totally subjective, not fact. That's what you think. Others might say min-maxing isn't fun, grinding to re-roll one perk, you know, is 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 not fun. It's 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 the absence of content. You're basically creating content around one aspect. So you just grind 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 and then you re-roll that one perk. Some people might say that's not even content. That's just you grinding for a resource. Instead of chasing loot, you're chasing a resource. Again, in a looter shooter, I would argue that's not superior. Division's not a looter shooter. Division's a min-maxing game, and that's why re-rolling makes sense in that context. Re-rolling doesn't make sense in a non-min-maxing looter shooter like Destiny. It's it's like that in Borderlands, right? If you could just re-roll, oh, I got my unkept herald. I'm just going to grind for money which isn't that hard in Borderlands. And then I'm going to re-roll the Unkept Herald until I get the per- until I get the perks that I want. That that's just not a looter shooter. You're not doing a looter shooter at that point. You're just grinding for a resource. Right? They had the Destiny system and they changed it and it worked. Again, incorrect. That's not true. That's not how the 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 vanilla launch of Division did not have Destiny system. That's not true. Again, you're paralleling games that can't be paralleled. You you it's it's one's a min-max and one's not. Destiny's not a min-max game. Min-max is not re-roll if that's an additional feature. I'm saying that that min-maxing is a game type where re-rolling makes contextual sense. Because you get your gear and you're like, oh, this one stat needs to go up while this other stat needs to go down a little bit. I'm willing to trade this and re-roll to get a different perk. Everything's on this is kind of how I want it, but this one perk isn't what I want. That's why re-rolling makes sense in The Division. It doesn't make sense in Destiny, where even once they're all said and done, after you have the best version of a gun post-Forsaken, it's going to have only four active perks and masterworks, and the perks aren't that super influential over the stats of the weapon. The stats are generally pretty much set, right? It's it, The stats of an archetype are, are set, and the perks make the, the gun handle differently. Outlaw, Rampage, you know what I'm saying? The stats of the weapon, the bar, like when you look at the gun and like the bars, impact, range, stability, handling, reload speed, that is, that is the stats of the game and we don't really have a whole lot of influence over those stats in Destiny. That's why re-rolling makes no sense. 
you're basically just investing in perks which to me makes sense on having them drop random and not re-rolling them in the tower because think about what you're talking about you're talking about re-rolling a stat a stat influencer in division in destiny you're re-rolling for a perk and that's totally different it's totally different Mac 2099, speaking of rare guns, will we ever see the return of a gun that only one person in history has ever obtained, the fate of all fools? No, I don't think so. I don't think so, and I'd be okay with that. I don't, that, what's the point in investing in that? It's a looter shooter, they're trying to recapture an audience, not give one person a gun. Smirky Mercs, has there been any PlayStation exclusive content for Forsaken announced weapon armor anything? I've not seen anything. No, I've not seen anything. That might be that might be a good thing. Um, I don't know. That, people in chat are probably going to correct me and say no, there is PlayStation stuff. I've not seen it. I've not seen it myself, but it's probably in there. It's probably in there. Uh, Diamond J fifteen. Should I burn my Ikora tokens, uh, basically for the shards? I mean. <clears throat> they're going away. They're going away. Uh, they're getting an exclusive strike, somebody in chat says. So, they're getting a strike. And the strike they got last time wasn't that good. Everybody complained about it. Everybody said it wasn't that good of a strike. So, I'm not too concerned. Uh, oh, so the Ikora tokens? Yeah, just get rid of them. They're literally going to disappear from your vault. You can't keep them through Forsaken. And they're getting the exotic. Oh, well, there you go. So yeah, I would use your Ikora tokens. Uh, two more questions. King Boomstick. Do you think Destiny 2 could benefit matchmaking group finding for endgame modes? Similar to LFG, LFR, and WoW. We get this question a lot, and I always say the same thing, that there are certain things that just will never work for matchmaking. Because you have to, it, it's too streamlined and too easy to match make. They'd have to really, really make it to where you couldn't just like throw yourself into matchmaking and be an absolute just ignoramus. If you go into a prestige raid environment and you don't know the, you don't have the first freaking clue about mechanics or this or that or whatever, I, then you're gonna really, really frustrate the people that are in there that are, you know, trying their best and know what they're doing or, you know, trying to get it done quickly. However, Nightfalls, maybe, Trials, no, and then when the Prestige Raid launches, usually by that time, I think it would be acceptable to do matchmaking for the normal raid. Now, we might not be getting a Prestige Raid. They they got rid of, they got rid of Prestige Nightfall and they're changing the way that strikes work. They also then could they may, they may very well do something similar with the raid, no prestige mode. They may just have the ascendant version where it's going to be very different like it it talks about, you know, and it shows what looks like we're going to be going into the ascendant realm and, you know, the the awoken like wizards, those chicks have like taken stuff on their hands. So I could see it being uh, a scenario where we don't even have a prestige raid. So some of what I'm saying would fall flat, but there's just something you can't, there's some things you can't do matchmaking for. 
even the people that disagree with me that are like, no, you could never have matchmaking in a raid, even they would agree with what I'm saying, and, and we would be in agreement on this point that there are certain activities you just, if you put matchmaking in there, it just is going to be a very, very bad time. You know, like, prestige raids are usually, for a long time, they're usually pretty dadgum tough. I mean, for a, for a random group. Now, I'm not for a polished group, no, and that's part of the problem, is people run it every week with the same crew, and they know it like the back of their hand, and then they're like, why is everybody struggling? This is so easy, and like they run it with the same people every week. Um, the way the World of Warcraft does looking for raid is that they make the mechanic significantly less punishing, so when you learn what to do without one mistake, wiping the entire group. I mean, they're just different games, though. I mean, I don't know if you can... If you dilute the raids in Destiny too much, I mean... Dude, Vaults of Glass... Vaults of Glass and Wrath of the Machine in King's Fall... I mean, they weren't... Once you knew what you were doing, they weren't that difficult. Um, Are you saying it would only only be easier if you're doing a looking for raid? Then why wouldn't you always just do a looking for raid? I feel like eventually you would just be like... We need to get it done fast. I'm just gonna do. I'm just gonna do a looking for raid. If you're using matchmaking, you need people. If you don't need a person, you're not gonna be random screwing it up. Oh, but that's the thing with matchmaking, Mookie. People that just have to click a button and there's no hurdle at all, they definitely would be in there being the, the dumb dumb. You know what I'm saying? They definitely would be in there being the dumb dumb. Like you can't. I don't know. Says the person who ran it 12,000 times. I don't know what you mean by that. Prestige would be better if it had Prestige exclusive loot. I agree. They need that. The loot was really bad for Leviathan. The power level for a looking for raid is lower, so you can learn without getting hammered. Okay, I mean, I listen, I, I would maybe be okay with that, and then if the power level's lower, you should also then limit the loot. You should limit the loot. Anybody doing a looking for raid, if they lower the power a little bit to make it a little bit more accessible, I would then argue they should get, like, one gun, and then that's it. And it should only pull from, like, the loot pool of the guns that just aren't as good. We all know, we all know the guns in the raid that aren't as good as the really, really good ones. So, EP matchmaking. Oh, yeah, Escalation Protocol needs matchmaking, no question about it. No question about it. You should never, ever, ever ever have an activity that is limited by, oh, there's nobody in the public space, I can't do this. I mean, what are you supposed to do? You get a weekend to play and you're like, yeah, man, I want to get that Escalation Protocol shotgun. Nobody's really around right now. No worries. I'll just go into the public space and try and get this done. Oh, there's nobody here, so I can't get it done. Probably solo EP once you're 600 light? No, probably not, bud. Just because you're over-leveled doesn't mean it becomes easy. They limit... Once you're so far over-leveled so- over something, th- the power, like, the difference between somebody that goes and runs Escalation Protocol that's 450 and someone that's 600 is no different at all. There's a, there's a ceiling on how much of a damage boost you get, and I don't think those fights are going to be suddenly just a walk in the park because we're 600. You can go in there now. You can go in there now and feel pretty pretty freaking strong, but you mess up the mechanics on a, on a fight with the boss, and, you know, you're going you're gonna to feel it. You're gonna you're gonna feel weak. So, but yeah, I think I I don't know matchmaking for activities like that. It just feels like a no-brainer. Because 
why I mean I don't know why wouldn't you it's it's in the public space if it's in the public space I just I don't I always always hated that I hated that about Archon's Forge I hated about uh, that about uh, uh, Court of Oryx oh there's nobody here frick you know harder to do it can't do it don't have an offering don't have a token can't work on this right now you don't you don't want people sitting on the down on the weekend to play I don't know what my son's doing you don't want people sitting down on the weekend to play and feeling like I can't do the thing that I wanted to do this weekend I just don't think that that's a good idea you want the player base to be empowered to do the activities now that only can go so far right if you don't have five people you ain't running a raid if you don't have five people you, you need the five plus yourself that's six if you don't have that you ain't running a raid it ain't happening but public space stuff like Archon's Forge Court of Oryx I think even Prison of Elders should have had matchmaking why the frick not Did pri- I think didn't they add matchmaking to Prison of Elders later on I feel like they did I feel like they did Archon and Court both allowed for max level gear artifact. I thought that was fair. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm just saying you should be able to go in and get it done. There sh- It should put people there. Yeah, they did. Uh, it did have matchmaking later. Yeah, and that to me tells me that Bungie can pivot and say, okay, people really want to do this. Let's add matchmaking. So. Listen. The goal of making content is to have people engage with it, and there will always be a spectrum, right? Like, we know this. We know that when they design the raid, a smaller percentage of people are going to do the raid compared to, you know, the the 80% to 90% of the community that, that ends up running through the campaign and running through the strikes. With regularity, there's a good chunk of the community that does all those things. But... You know, so you know that that spectrum exists. You know there's going to be activities that only so many people do. And that's fine. I don't think there's a problem with that. But what you don't want to have... You don't want to have activities in the public space that people see and want to do. Like, it's woven into the weekly grind and it's not a raid. You know? It's just like, yeah, there's something fun to do. You don't want to have that out of people's reach. I think that's a huge, huge mistake. I think something should only be somewhat out of reach and require a team and be not super accessible if it's thematically sensible. Like, the theme of a raid is a six-man fire team that's hyper-organized. So it's thematically sensible to say, no, we're not going to do matchmaking. You just got to find people. Now, again, that's why I say once the hard mode comes out, you could say the raid's been out for long enough. There's videos, there's streamers, the hive mind of the player base kind of, you know, there's enough people in the player base that get it and understand how to do it. We can roll out matchmaking for normal mode, but we're not going to do that for hard mode. You know, so so you you're constantly then having those people in the in the in the community that feel like, oh, I've got this. This end game activity is for me. I want to do it. But the people that want to try it out, you're giving them an inroad to try it out and not having it too soon or it being too punishing. Uh, Neems TL, with the Redrix quest expiring after season four, if I only do step five by the end of season four, will my progress be deleted at the end of season five? I'm not actually sure if they said, but yeah, probably. Probably. I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think too far ahead of yourself. I mean... You've got an entire season to do it. 
I think people that play an awful lot of Crucible, I think people that play an awful lot of Crucible are going to be just fine. If you're taking advantage of the triple and double Valor, if you're playing on a regular basis and you're intentionally using pulses, you know, and getting the things done that need to get done, I think I think a lot of the player base is, is by the end of the season, going to be pretty close to having it. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to get it. When I say a lot of the player base, I'm talking like, the 25 to 30% of the crucible player base that's really dedicated and plays all the time. That's what I think. I don't I don't think you're going to I don't think you're going to have 70 80% of the player base running around with a Redrix broadsword. You're going to have people like me that just don't want to put in the time. They're like, nah, I don't want to play crucible that much." They're just not going to get it. But that 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 core audience of the crucible and this is this is why I think it's important because I think that's very very similar to what they do with the raid. There's that PvE core audience that gets the best stuff, that gets the raid gear, right? And I think that's huge because then they feel like they are, they are the, they are the the the, the, the kings of PvE, right? When you have a full set of Kingsfall or a full set of Wrath, you feel like the like one of the kings of PvE, and that's awesome. You're one of the more dedicated PvE guys. PvP should be similar, and I think the Redrix the Redrix broadsword can kind of be that. It can kind of be that for the people that just, they just, they sit down every day and they play a little crucible, you know, they put in a couple hours, get some stuff done, raise their valor a little bit, you know, it's a double weekend. So maybe they put in a little bit more time. They know they got to work on the bounties. They know they got to work on the, oh, I got to get uh, pulse kills. I got to work on finishing blows, etc. That's good. That's intentionality. That's commitment. That's what you want to see, man. That's what you see when people run raids a lot. And I think PvP has always kind of missed this element. It's like, well, you either grind like crazy when Iron Banner comes out, or you go and play Trials a bunch. With Trials going away, I think this is an important facet of the PvP grind. People that complained about this, that took up for like, people that didn't even have the Claymore, they're like, this is just a slap in the face. I think those people are going to be really, really glad to have that grind. I'm, I'm dead serious. You're going to be glad you have that grind if you're a fan of PvP. Because it's going to keep you interested. It's going to keep you kind of tracking your progress. You're not going to have double, triple XP going forward. Oh, there's not going to be any more? I thought they, I thought they just said they weren't going to do any more this season. There, There's not going to be any double or triple, triple Valor times during season, during the next season, season four. Are we sure about that? Where was that communicated? I want to see. I would like to see where that was officially communicated. I, I don't remember seeing that. I remember them saying they weren't going to be doing any more this season, like when they announced the three weekends, or the I'm, I'm sorry, the three times. John says yes, they are next season. I thought I read they were not going to have it in future seasons. I want to see that confirmed. I want to see that confirmed. I'm fairly certain the only thing I saw communicated was that this season, there wouldn't be any more. These are going to be the last ones this season. Because I'm, that would be weird. Why would you take that away? That's excitement. That's, that gets the, that gets the community to play. Why would you take that away? Look at this guy playing peekaboo with me. Uh, Nova hands. Hey, Lono, could Bungie use the old raid as a trial for new players, make the power level low, uh, content's no longer relevant. I mean, that's kind of like an idea I've always kind of put out there that if you want raid matchmaking, you have to earn it. 
you could have a raid training playlist that's basically very focused on mechanics. You can't get access to it without a microphone, and it basically teaches you the basics of if you stand on this plate, this gun activates. When this gun activates, this guy gets inside it and shoots the boss. Oh, you stepped off the plate. Oh, the gun deactivates, right? Kevin Yanes verified there would be when he tweeted for people to take advantage of both double and triple valor next season for the five resets. There you go. I am Skolosk. That yeah, getting that confirmed on Twitter. I remember reading that too. So yeah, it's been confirmed by Bungie. There'll be there'll be double and triple valor uh, opportunities in season in the next season. So you'll be able to take advantage of those. So, I mean, you could use the old raids. I mean, I said you could have a raid training playlist. You could use the old raid, but the problem there is, is like, is Leviathan really the best place for people to quote-unquote train for raids? I mean, it is very mechanically heavy, but the new raid, you know, sounds to be nothing like Leviathan. So, I don't know. I don't know. What they could do, what they could do is after the normal raid has come out and everyone solved it, right? You wouldn't ha- you wouldn't want to have this initially. You would not want to have this initially because this would basically let people kind of come up with strategies and get kind of clues on what the raid's going to be like. So, let's 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 take let's take Wrath of the Machine as a test case, okay? Wrath of the Machine comes out and there's the there's the charges that you throw, there's the cannons, and then there's like the plate slamming and there's the back slamming, etc. There's all those mechanics in the Wrath of the Machine raid. What if two weeks after Wrath of the Machine came out, everybody solved it, everybody came up with pretty cool strategies, the raid playlist, the raid training playlist opened up and it just had little teeny encounters that were similar but not directly linked to but similar to the encounters in Wrath. So there would be an encounter where you have to grab these orbs and go dunk them and once you dunk them, then the boss becomes vulnerable. You kind of remove the, oh, you could throw him at the boss. Remove that aspect. You just dunk, and then he's vulnerable, right? And then you have an encounter where you throw the orbs at the, you know, the boss, and it makes him vulnerable, okay? In that, in that instance, the reason you wouldn't want to have the raid training beforehand is you wouldn't want people to basically get clues as to like, oh, this is what Wrath of the Machine is going to be like. You know what I'm saying? This is what Wrath's going to be one where you're throwing orbs and doing, you know, doing this and doing that. And I I don't think that's what you would want to have it be. But if the raid's already been out for a couple weeks and people are going into the training and kind of getting like, oh, okay, 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 okay. I understand how this mechanic works. Then they would have gotten in Wrath of the Machine and been like, oh yeah, guys, this is just like the raid training. We got to slam these things. And they're like, oh wait, he's vulnerable. Oh, their orbs are still coming out. And then they would like, you know, they would throw them at the boss and start to, oh, this is different. This is neat. I think that's something that they could do. Now, I say all of that and I go on that big, long rabbit trail only to follow it up by saying this. That's a lot of work with almost, with with maybe not a lot of payout. Does Bungie really want to take the time to create this unique playlist where you can train for the existing raid and when you're training for that existing raid you 
you know, are getting like clues to the mechanics, like developing all that, putting it in there, creating the matchmaking algorithms, creating the thing that checks to make sure you have a microphone, doing all that. I mean, how much net would they get out of that? How much, how many players would just, Oh yeah, I'm going in the raid now, dude. Yeah. I feel like the raid appeals to the type of player that's going to find a solution so they can go in and run the raid. Do you know what I'm saying? Are there how many players are there in the player pool who are dying to get into a raid but just still can't find a solution? You know, who are these players? Who are these players that just they cannot figure out a solution? There I I'm not saying there aren't players like that. I'm saying are there a lot of them? Are there a lot of them? And are they is it a measurable is it quantifiable enough to say there's then an impetus on Bungie to come up with this solution? In-game LFG in the tower, maybe, maybe. I mean, there's, you know, there's LFG sites that a lot of people aren't even aware of, you know, they exist. I don't know if Bungie wants to promote third-party websites, but they could say, you know, hey, looking for a raid, can't find anybody? Here's a link, and it takes you to the, you know, the LFG site, like, inside the game. So then there's at least that barrier of, like, okay, if you're going to try and do this, you know, with random people, you got to put up some effort. You got to put up some effort. To, to okay where which one do you want to run what difficulty what checkpoint you know what class are you all of those things I think are a decent a decent barrier in between some thumbless no miked potato ruining your run it's mean muggin says what do you think about holding on to bright engrams no reason to no reason to. I wouldn't hold on to any engrams. I would hold on to planetary materials uh, and tokens because those will be able to be turned in for rep in Forsaken and leveling up somebody with rep might be worth it post Forsaken. Like when I had all the Vanguard tokens and all of a sudden the season started and they're like, hey, Zavala's got a ship when you hit rank 50. I was like, that's pretty cool. And I just went and dumped tokens into him. You always want to be careful, though. Like, you don't want to shortchange the content. I think sometimes people shortchange the content. They're like, man, I've I've got everything I need, and I'm just going to level up in the tower. That's, I, uh, do you really want to do that to yourself? Do you really want to rob yourself of content and grind? Oh, you just save it all up and turn it all in in the tower. I don't know. I think I think gamers can be their own worst enemy. Gamers can be their own worst enemy because they're like, oh my gosh, I saved all this stuff and look what I can do. I can bypass it in the tower and then I can skip grind. Uh, Salazar with 12 months. Welcome back to the Rages. That's a red badge. Thank you so much. I And then like a couple weeks goes by and they're like, I got nothing to do. Oh, I, I'm, I, I don't have anything to chase. Now, I don't think you're going to be able to do that again. This is where God rolls comes into play where you can't get the best gear that easily. You know, the best gear takes a while to get. There's grind, there's patience, there's investment. That I think is important because that's when you start to feel like you can check off some boxes preemptively if you kind of save stuff up and you got tokens and you got materials but you're not going to be able to just be like yep I'm done I'm done with the grind I got everything I wanted god rolls kind of prevents that from being a reality now power level grinding people taking shortcuts power level grinding people finding like the absolute best the best pathway 
okay, that's going to happen. Optimization of grind is going to happen. I'll, I'll grant you that. But optimization optimization of grind doesn't necessarily then therefore mean you're done with the content and done with the loot pursuit right away. Power level grind skips and, and exploits and shortcuts are always going to happen. People are always going to find a loophole or if you run this content and you do this or kill this one boss or this one lost sector right now is such a fast farm and it has a great token turnover rate or it has a chance to drop this really good gear and you can just run it over and over and over and over again. I, I think that's fine when people find those things. It's just a matter of if there are if there are things after the fact and containers of things that you can do that are then there there that are left for you. If Bungie didn't drop the raid a week after launch, players wouldn't feel the need to do that. There would still be I I agree and disagree. There would still be players that would be so dead set on being world's first max level. There would be players that want to be the first. I want to be the first. I want to max level before anybody else. But I agree. I think they incentivize way more people to do it by being like, hey, Forsaken launches on a Tuesday and you're 400, you know, you're 385 to 400, max level 600, 200 levels of power that you have to level up. Have fun with that. Oh, by the way, in three days, the raid launches. I just, I fundamentally disagree with that as a strategy. The only people that support that, the only people that support that are the people that go for worlds first and benefit as streamers, typically, right? There's two, there's two groups here that like it being that fast. People that go for worlds first like it that fast because there's less people that can run the raid and it thins out the competitive landscape. There's less people that can even throw their hat in the ring, right? Maybe there's a really good team, but they just didn't have time to play when it launched. Like, schedule conflicts, they just weren't able to get it done. And then there's like... You know, there's a handful of streamers that get crazy, insane viewership that week, that week because like the hype of the content is still high, so way more people tune in. So there's a huge bias. The people that defend it don't defend it because it's good for the content. They defend it because it's good for them. I'm not calling anybody out, by the way. I get why they like it. I just think there's a categorical difference between saying raids dropping really, really fast is good for the content. I've never seen anybody argue that it's good for the content ever ever there's always a heavy amount of bias it's either good for them with respect to the competitive landscape being thinned out or it's good for them because it's good for their stream right so i like there's a big difference between arguing what's good for the content and what's good for the streamer and people that argue for the raid to drop right away are almost every single time arguing about what's good for them Keep in mind, I'm one of the top 10 viewed streams on raid day. I'm one of the top 10 viewed streams. I'm not in the top five. Usually I'm usually I'm like sixth place. Sometimes I'm fourth place. Sometimes I'm fifth place. Usually it depends on how fast we can get through it. And then once we get behind, we're usually not built for a speed run. Once we get behind, people tend to filter out of our stream into other streams. So keep in mind, I'm somebody that benefits from the raid dropping right away. I'm also somebody that benefits from less people being in the mix for a world first run. We've never been close. We've never been close for a world's first, right? I think we were top 50 on... We were top 50 on Leviathan, I think. We were something we were top 50. I can't remember what it was. I think it was Eater of Worlds. I think Eater of Worlds, we were like 36th or something. That's not bad. That's a decent feather in our cap. We I don't build I don't build a godlike team to go for a speedrun. I just play with people that I enjoy, you know, I'm buds with. But I get crazy viewership on the raid day. 
I'm in the top 10 in the directory. A huge amount of people come in. Once people start getting it first, they start to trickle down to see if we can figure it out. They want to see how fast we can run it, right? Like I, that's uh, you know, that's something that that's something that I benefit from. And I have, I have what I try to maintain is I try to strip away my bias and say what's good for the content. I would probably get I'll pro- I would probably get less viewership as a raid streamer if they did it two weeks later because the, the directory settles down. There's less people. There's less interest. There's less intrigue. I would probably arguably get less viewership, less exposure if they did it like two or three weeks later, and that's fine. That's totally fine. I I think at the end of the day, I try to argue what's best for the community and what's best for the content, and I think a more staggered raid release is better for the community and the content. You disrespect the content when you make people just run through it, just rip, tear through it to get as high level as they possibly can, and you disrespect what should be the crowning jewel pinnacle endgame activity that we're all looking out to in the future. I think we disrespect it when we use it as a marketing mechanic the week the content launches. I just, I think from two fronts, it's bad for the content. It doesn't do the content a service. It's a disservice to the content. Uh, did you see Bife's new video? No, and I'm not going to read your question. I don't want to know spoilers. Juicebox, Lono, what are your thoughts on transmogging gear, changing the skin of an item, so I can have awesome raid perks I want without having to look the same as all the other raiders? Here's what I think they should do. Transmogging doesn't work in this game, and I'll tell you why. I used to defend the idea of transmog, but the more I've looked at it, the more it doesn't work. Guns are supposed to have identity. The Midnight Coup has identity. It is the Midnight Coup. It is based off of the lore and the conspirators, the conspirators who tried to kill and outcast Callus, right? It needs to look like a raid gun. What they could do, again, this comes back to the Solstice of Heroes thing. This comes back to the Solstice of Heroes armor. You get the item, and it looks a certain way, and the more that I use it in the raid, it has intrinsic bounties on it that levels it up, changes its appearance, and makes it look awesome. And then, I think raid guns need ornaments. The Midnight Coup should have like five different appearances. Five different potential appearances that I can grind for. I come down here, I highlight this thing, it shows the five ornaments, and each ornament is unlocked by doing a certain thing in the raid. So the really, really cool one would be like really, really hard to get. Now, legendary ornaments are coming to the game. They're coming to the Eververse in Forsaken. I don't know to what degree. I don't know if it's going to be... That that could mean then maybe there's going to be legendary ornaments in the raid NPC. Maybe. If they're going to be in the Eververse, maybe they'd be in the raid NPC. But you do... Like, I don't think... I don't think you would want to be running around with a Midnight Coup and it has the Midnight Coup perks on it. But you made it look like the dire promise. I, I don't think you want to do that. I think you strip the gun of its identity if it looks like this, but it's the Midnight Coup. Well, it's not really the Midnight Coup anymore, is it? It's a dire promise with the perks of a Midnight Coup. I'm, I, I don't like that. I don't like that. This is why, again, this is another, this is another net benefit of God Rolls. Another net benefit of God Rolls is this. I love the way this gun looks. 
Here's all the potential perk combinations. I'm gonna grind for a god roll dire promise. I love the six shooter western look and feel of a dire promise. I'm gonna grind for the best version here. Right? I had, okay, I had a palindrome in Destiny 1 that had the perks on it that made it fine and it worked just fine in the Wrath of the Machine raid. But do you know what I did? I said, I want an Imago loop because it looks like a fate bringer. I had a palindrome that worked just fine, but I hated it. It looked like a toy. It looked like somebody built it out of Legos. And there weren't skins for guns back there. Back then, keep that in mind. There weren't gun. There weren't skins for guns back then. No shaders for a gun. That's just what the palindrome looked like, right? So, you. <laughs> that was it. That was the gun. And I thought it looked. I thought it looked disgusting. <laughs> and so I grinded for an imago just because it looked. Just because of the way that it looked. And then I got the perks that I wanted, and it replaced my palindrome. When it came to the shotguns, when it came to the shotguns, there was the di- there was the the, the dire um, no not the dire promise. There was the proud spire, the Occam's razor, and then there was the stolen will. I loved the stolen will because it looked like it was like takenified. So I grinded for a stolen will to have the same perks as my Occam's razor. That was pretty dope. I had a pretty dope looking shotgun. I had a pretty dope looking shotgun. The dire ugliness can't be helped with shaders. <laughs> with the shaders apply really weird to the to the dire promise in the old fashion. They don't take shaders very well at all. I still think you should be able to rotate shaders. I still think you should be able to rotate shaders. So like when I put this shader on here, it's it's got it's got gray, white, and red and black. Black and black and gray aren't really showing up, right? The bottom of the gun doesn't take shaders the same way every time. So right now, when I apply Noble Constant Red, I should be able to push a button that rotates the square of the shader. It should rotate it, so then the, the, the color assignments shift. So the white becomes red, and the red becomes white. And then the white becomes black, and the, and then the, and the red becomes white. Like, you see what I'm saying? And then you can get to a point where you're like, you have another layer of personalization that's just color by number. There are sections of this gun that just pull from the shader. It's just color by number. So if I rotate the shader, the little square, it would it would then make the shader apply differently. Because man, there are some times you go to apply it like this one, for example. I love that red on there. It looks so good, but I don't like the blue. So I should be able to rotate this shader until it's red with white highlights or black highlights would look really cool too. Rotate the shader. But the original question, like, I, I just think, I think transmogging doesn't work in Destiny because Destiny, you have, you ha- in Destiny, you have every gun with its identity. It comes from a place. It has an origin. It has lore, right? It's just one of those things where I, I think that's really, really important. And you're not going to get your question about faction rallies past me. I'm not reading your question. You're putting in your question information from the video and the leak that I don't want. I'm not going to read out loud on stream and I'm not going to interact with. Even though you removed the fact that like Bife, Bife's the one that said it. Like I can see your name. I can see that you're just asking the question again. I'm not answering your question. I'm not going to read it out loud. You do it again. You're getting timed out for 24 hours. 
if it's not in the leak in the in the lore video, then I'll interact with it. But you prefaced it by saying it was from his video that I've said already I don't want to interact with. This is why putting this is why putting questions in the chat is so helpful. It's not a leak, it has nothing to do with Bice video. But your initial question said, did you see Bice video? Also, what do you think about faction rallies being planet-based? That's not in the video. Okay, if it's not in the video, then I'm gonna interact with your question. Okay. <laughs> I'll interact with your question if it's not in the video. It says, what do you think about faction rallies being planet-based? For example, each faction could, quote, influence a destination and doing activities would increase their influence on that destination. It would be a constant tug-of-war between the factions and whoever wins at the end would have the perks on those destinations. Dead Orbit would get more destination material on Mercury, for example. Okay. Faction rallies not in the way. Okay, so this is no spoilers. The way he phrased it, I thought it was from Bice video, so that's why I didn't answer it. I'm sorry for the misunderstanding. I'm just very, very careful about leaks like that because I don't want chat to suddenly have that information thrust into their face. Giggity. So, this your idea here is one that I've outlined in Mike, 30 and So Gaming. We've outlined this many times back on his podcast a long time ago and recently on Rageous Roundtable. The only thing they would have to do with this is it would have to be ratio-based. The percentage of people, the percentage of people that are in dead orbit are contributing to that number. You don't want it to just be whoever, whoever, um, okay, so dead orbit has more people, they just win by default, right? If dead orbit has 150,000 people that pledge and new monarchy has 70,000, they have half, well, they, oh, Dead Orbit wins by default. Those people are just going to naturally do more public events and naturally they're going to do more stuff. So what you would want to do is, is you would want to say, out of the 150,000 people that pledge to Dead Orbit, what percentage of them are contributing to the number? If you did it percentage-based, that's the only way it would be fair. Because if too many people flock to a given faction, it's a waste of a competition. There's no competition, Right? If you go, if you go downtown with a hundred people, and I go downtown with fifty people, and we're gonna try and see who can pick up the most stuff off the ground, like we're gonna just try and we're gonna clean the town up, and the competition is to see who can pick up the most trash. Well, you're just gonna win by default. You have twice the amount of people picking up trash. If every single person picks up one piece of trash, you just you win by default. <laughs> you know. And so you, I, you never want to have it set up that way where it's just purely quantitative. It would have to be a ratio, like a percentage. Packages and players, that number of wins. Even there, even there, it's the same idea though. It's the same idea. If you have more people in your faction, you win by default almost. Everybody goes new monarchy because the shaders look hot. They win by default. There's more people turning in packages. Just automatically more people. They, they basically just automatically win. It's got to be a percentage. So I love this idea. You could pull up the director and be like, oh, Dead Orbit's winning that planet. Let's go. And then you'd go and you'd, 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 you'd do everything you can to make that planet be, you know, be better and have more for your your, your faction. Trash equals faction rally weapons. <laughs> there were some pretty bad ones. So yeah, you could take my analogy pretty far there. But they're hopefully with random rolls and the new mod system and stuff, there'll be a lot more excitement centered around uh, the faction weapons when faction rally returns. It is on hiatus at the beginning of the season. So this is kind of a moot point to a degree, but this could be an idea that they put into the game because it would make it feel meaningful. I've already outlined all the things I think they should do with faction rally on how to improve it. 
and how to improve the grind. I've already done that. I I, I talked about. I, I might need to do an official video of how they could main keep faction rally in the game all the time, but still have that week. The factions would be there all the time, but the week would still be important. And I probably should do like an official video outlining that to kind of show like here's how they could do. You know, basically make everybody happy. Um. Did they announce that the raid is launching the first week or were you speculating? I was speculating. They have said, Cosmo said on Reddit, they are listening to the community. They are listening to the community about the raid launch timing. They are. They're like, okay, we've, we're hearing you guys. We're hearing you guys. Like we know, we know that some people don't like it, you know, launching right away. And I think that that is, that's good to hear from them. At the very least, at the very least, they've addressed it and they said, okay, you know, we're listening. That doesn't mean they're going to do anything. They could still say, eh, we, we kind of like it launching right away. Or there's big boys in charge. There's corporate heads that think it should launch right away. So it could, it could come down to it being, it, it being nobody's, uh, nobody's choice, right? Um, this will be the last question from Lucario. If you guys want to keep submitting questions, we'll keep doing question and answer, but I'm going to chop this for the podcast so it's not too long. We have hit an hour and a half, and that's about as long as I'm willing to go for the podcast. Two hours is, is really long, and I only am willing to do that when it's a really saucy subject. You guys have been pretty calm today. <laughs> Lucario says, the new supers were shown by Bungie. Which new super is your favorite? I honestly didn't care about the Titan Superman until I saw it. <laughs> Until I saw it. It looks really, really cool. So I really, really like the Titan Superman. Uh, and then the two new ones for the the Hunter and the Warlock, the that you go invisible, that that one for the Warlock where he's like, boom, and like causes the explosion. He's like, you can't see him. And then he kind of throws his arms out. That one looks awesome. And... The other one that looks good is the uh, the the one where you go invisible with the hunter. That one looks really really cool. You want us to riot? We're too calm. <laughs> no, just usually if the topic's really saucy, we get into a lot of questions. I get really preachy. I get really ranty, and I didn't have to do that today. We didn't have anybody that said the content should be free. We didn't have anybody that was like nobody should be able to get the Redrix anymore. Um, we didn't have anybody taking like we didn't have anybody taking any like really really weird strong stances for me to kind of get on a soapbox about so if you're listening to us on iTunes Google Play Spotify or YouTube you can always tune in live twitch.tv slash Rage or follow me on Twitter at Rage. gonna continue streaming right now we're not shutting the stream down but we're gonna if you want to keep submitting questions you can and if you're listening to this on all those sources or if you're watching it I appreciate you doing that please like share and subscribe